Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton joining you today as we continue our study in the book of Romans. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Um, as we dive into the passage today, one of the things that I, that I want to point out from the very beginning is that we're about to uh, move into a section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, that um, scholars have, have really you know, struggled over some over the years. And, and the reason being that, um, and I would invite you to, to do this yourself to, to bear this out, but um, chapter 8 tends to, to really pick up very nicely as um, w- with chapter 12. In other words, chapters 9 through 11 sort of are this little parenthetical piece that have been put in where the the approach and and the styling is a little bit different than um, chapters one through eight or chapter twelve through um, through the rest of the book and and so uh, many have have argued or, or at least there have been arguments over time over the authorship of um, chapters 9, 10, and 11, and the intent of chapters 9, 10, and 11, I happen to believe, uh, and, and think this is a pretty good way of looking at it, that chapter 9, 10, and 11 were written by Paul, but they are representative of like a sermon, that Paul, in the midst of um, in the midst of his treatise there, his letter in Romans, that he kind of inserts a sermon, and it was probably a sermon that he had preached a lot, quite frankly, um, and it was to address... Uh, frankly, something that had to be on the minds of uh, the the people in the church at Rome, and and particularly on the minds of those believers who had had come out of Judaism. And so, really, um, chapter nine is is really kind of dealing, beginning to deal with the question of has has God rejected Israel, and uh, and so. Several things that I'd like for us to see today, and so we're just going to kind of jump in and and but we're going to consider this idea of um, of of what you know what does it mean for uh, Israel to to like for us to recognize that Israel missed uh, the Messiah? What does it say about about God? Um, what does it say about Israel? And ultimately, what does it say about our our present position in God as as believers, because right, like at the end of chapter eight, we've just finished with chapter eight, which is you know one of the most glorious and encouraging chapters in the Bible, and 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 we you know we've just come from this idea that nothing can separate us from the love uh, of of Christ, and and so there's there's this sense of the you know like the championing of eternal security and this this idea that that there's nothing literally that can pull us out of the hand of God, but then um, People in the back of their mind were wondering, well, well, what about Israel? Didn't isn't Israel God's chosen people? weren't they weren't they set aside? weren't they elected by God? And so, how is it that Israel has missed the Messiah? 
And, and what does that say for us as believers, even as we're trying to affirm this idea that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Does that mean that ultimately, really, there is something that can separate us from uh, the love of God? And so how secure can we be in God's love and how secure can we be in salvation when it seems that Israel was once loved and saved, but now um, they seem to be rejected and cursed? And so is will God one day reject and curse me um, as you know, in the same way that I, that maybe it looks like that he's done that with Israel. The the truth is that Paul unpacks this in a way to help us know that there's really something else going on here, and and that there's um, that we just need to be precise in the way that we look at this, and we will over the course of you know these. Um, these next three chapters. So in the very beginning, Paul begins verse, verse, verses one and two of chapter nine. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And so the very first thing that we that we see here is that Paul um, is, you know, he he's very insistent to say that he's he's heartbroken, he's he's broken at the depths of 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 his soul and and in his inner man for um, the nation of Israel, for his his brothers and sisters in in Israel, the people, his people, um, and and so and and his and his grief is not is not momentary. He says that that he's he's in great sorrow and that his anguish is unceasing uh, in his heart. And so so Paul um, is is anguishing over unbelieving Israel who has um, who has rejected the Messiah. Very first comment I would make this morning, uh, or today, even as we as we think about um, you know this idea for ourselves today, as as we bring it forward, the the question is how um, how broken are we for the sin of the people around us, the people that are closest to us, the people the people in our neighborhoods and the people in uh, in our places of work and the the people in our our places of business, how broken. Are we over their sin? You know, we live in a world today uh, that I that I think, it, it, at least here in the United States, and what we experience here on a regular basis is is the most polarized that that any of us can ever believe that our society can be. We we live in the midst of a cancel culture where people completely dismiss and use loose for or lose use for people who are not. Who don't believe what they believe, and who don't who don't do what they do, and so we are tribing up in these in political groups and in 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 groups of people around issues, and and anyone who doesn't believe what we believe, or anyone who doesn't do what we do, um, ultimately we are. Uh, very guilty sometimes of, of casting them away, of marginalizing them, of of really denying um, their their worth. And Paul's providing a completely different example here. Here, here is Israel. Now, this is a these are a people that he was once a part of, and that he that he's ethnically collect, connect, collected connected to. Words are hard today. Uh, that he's. He's ethnically connected to. This is in his DNA. He is an Israelite. Um, 
he was once one of the tormentors of the saints. He was once, you know, he gives his resume to say that I was, you know, a Jew of Jews. And, and, and so he was a persecutor of Christians because he was such uh, a, a faithful Jew, not only ethnically, but, but spiritually and in, in his belief and in his action, he was, he was faithful to the nation of Israel. And, and now he's become, He's become the object of their scorn. He's been beaten by Jews. He's been driven out of cities by Jews. He's been tormented by Jews at every turn. And yet Paul's Paul's reaction here is not to to say, well, they're getting what they deserve and, you know, good riddance. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad God is judging them for the, you know, for the error of their ways. He's saying he's that he has great sorrow and he has unceasing anguish in his heart. So Paul Paul has this sense that no matter whether they, um, you know, no matter whether they're turning to Christ or not, his his desire for them, his the hurt of his heart, the the preoccupation of his soul is to see them um, turn to Christ. As a matter of fact, he says, if he goes on in in verse three, and he says, "For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers." My kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Paul Paul has this this incredible um, sorrow because... um, Because ultimately, Israel had such a chance before God. Um, he, he's, you know, he's, he's being completely truthful, both about his, about his sorrow in this, but then, then also he's, he's confessing, um, that, that out of this great passion for souls, he is troubled in, in the depths of his, of his very soul for, for the salvation of Israel. Um, Charles Spurgeon was once quoted about, um, about a similar thing. He said, um, about having a soul, a love for the souls of men. He says, get love for the souls of men. Then you will not be whining about a dead dog or a sick cat or about um, crochets of a family and, and the little disturbances that John and Mary may have, may make by their idle talk. You will be delivered from petty worries if you are concerned about the souls of men. Get your soul full of a great grief and your little griefs will be driven out. You see, Paul had this this sort of preoccupying goal. Even though he was called to be the 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 apostle to the Gentiles, he still had great concern and great anguish over the the salvation of the Jews. Even to the fact that that Paul is is mirroring Moses here. He's mirroring Moses from Exodus thirty two, where where you know Moses said like as he came off the mountain and saw the the golden calf and and saw the people um worshiping uh an idol and forsaking god um and god's anger was kindled against the people and god you know really really wished god god had the emotion of 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 wanting to wipe the people from the earth. He said, but, but look what Moses says, verse 31. He says, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. 
And ultimately, we know that this is this is a heart and this is an idea that reflects even the you know the very the very heart of Jesus. It reflects what what Paul says over in the book of Philippians about um, about having the mind of Christ. You know, we we see this in in Philippians chapter. Uh, chapter two, where Paul, you know, Paul talks about this idea of of having the mind of Christ, which is a mind of selflessness, and 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 so in this, Moses was pointing toward Jesus because he had a he had a mind like Jesus. He he said that you know ultimately blot me out, Lord. Like if you're not going to save them, if you're not going to forgive them, then take my portion with you. By the same token, Paul is saying here, if if I could be accursed, I would be in order to save the the masses of Israel. There's there's a self sacrificing love that's at the center um, of their work and a center at the center of their evangelism, because ultimately they're motivated to live and to be like Jesus. It says Paul said in in chapter two of Ephesians, beginning verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any af- affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made it but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul Paul's ultimately here um, acting like Jesus and in in the fact that there's this self-sacrificial sense of of like I would do anything to see Israel um, be able to be saved and, and and my question again for us today is is what would we do what do we do to see our friends and neighbors and those that are close to us, those people that are a part of our lives, what do we do in order to see that they yield their lives to Christ and that they ultimately uh, walk with Him? And 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 so there's you know there's there's this idea that um, you know Paul talks about the fact that. That that all of these things are real about Israel. That they are they're the recipients of the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the services of God and the promises. Um, and and Paul Paul realizes the severity of of their of their spiritual plight. It, it it's even more severe when he considers all the ways that God has blessed them and all the privileges that God has given them. Um, to be his own special people. He talks about this idea of the, you know, even the glory that they've been given, not only the adoption, but the glory that, that Israel had this, this unique place in history where, where they were, they were the visible, um, expression of God's glory, 
uh, among the nations. They were God was God's Shekinah glory, his cloud of glory dwelled among the people of Israel. And Israel then was the light to the nations, but ultimately they were the light to the nations, not to empower themselves, not for their own good, not for their own fame, not for their own strength, but they were they were ultimately a witness to the world in order to point people to Jesus. But along the way, Israel ultimately has missed out on the blessing of, of actually following Jesus. And, and, and so th- this, is a, this is a clear statement here where, where Paul talks about and, and, and really you know, points toward this idea of who Christ is and, and, and what he's come to do and where Israel has has missed out. And y'all today, um, we, we, want, we want to acknowledge that we want to be men and women ultimately who don't miss out. Um, that even, even in Christ, we don't want to be those who, who miss out on um, the blessing of God and, and, and ultimately miss out on doing the work of God because we're focused on the wrong things. But we have a story to tell. We have a story to tell about how Jesus is, has redeemed us and changed us and how we're, how we're becoming more like him. Um, and, and we need to use that story and leverage that story ultimately for, you know, for the good of others. Now, Paul, Paul then jumps into um, to a really controversial idea. So if God called Israel, if God, if God made Israel his people, if he, if he adopted them as his people, then has God failed or has the word of God failed because Israel has ultimately not as a nation followed him and didn't become the people that God called him out to be? Well, Paul says this, he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all who are children, children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Um, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have, shall have a son. And not only so, but when Rebekah had conceived children by, by one, one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Okay, there's a ton to unpack here. Verses six through eight, Paul talks about this idea of has the, has the, has God's plan regarding Israel failed? Has the word of God failed um, because of those who have descended from Israel that are that haven't embraced the Messiah? And he says no, that that God hasn't failed His children of promise at all. Um, and so God makes a, Paul makes a really great distinction about God's work here, and he says that 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 merely ethnically being Jewish doesn't mean that that God is going to. God is ultimately obligated to to rescue them, and that and that salvation is effective and efficacious for um, for all of Israel. Um, he what he says uh, is that the that the word of God has has taken full effect in the lives of those who are the the children of promise. Um, so, in other words, um, everyone that's everyone that is. Um, 
that is of Israel is not a, ch- a child of promise. They're not a they're not a child of God in the same way that we would say today that everyone claims that, that claims the 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 title or or claims the identity as a Christian is truly a follower of Christ. God is pointing out that there are children of the promise, those who have have placed their faith and trusted in Jesus, those who have those who have followed Christ with their lives, and it's no different for those who are part of Israel. We can look over to Hebrews chapter 11 and see the roll call of faith and see those who pleased God by their faith. Ultimately, what did they have faith in? They had faith and trust in the Messiah. They had faith and trust in the Messiah before Jesus came. They, they believed that God was going to do his work and that he was going to provide one who was going to provide redemption for their sins and that they believed on Christ even before Christ. And that these children of the promise are, are ultimately counted as they're, they're like the um, they're like the seed they're like the, the 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 thing that's there to be incubated that God still reaches His children of promise and some of them quite frankly are also people of Israel we know that there are there are Messianic Jews there are Jews all over and there have been Jews in in every century who have followed Jesus. Um, but their salvation is not in the fact that they're ethnically a Jew because being a descendant of Abraham saved, saves no one. You know, we know that, that Ishmael was just as much of a son of Abraham as Isaac was, but, but Ishmael was considered a son according to the flesh, and, and Isaac was considered a son according to the promise. And so Isaac was the heir of God's covenant of salvation and, and Ishmael was not. Isaac stands, Isaac is ultimately the one who, who stands as the representation of the promise, and Ishmael stands as the, the rep- representation of the children of the flesh. But once, once you look at Israel as a nation, every person in Israel, every, every person of Jewish heritage is not, is not a child. They're, they're all children of the flesh, but not all children of the promise. So then we get down to this, this idea about, about God's sovereign choice beginning in verse 10, and, and we get down to, to what is kind of maybe a difficult passage or a difficult, difficult thing to, to wrestle with. And, and so not only, but, but when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. In other words, that as God's choosing, God's choosing of a people for himself might continue, not because either one of them had had done works that it says that, um, as it is written, Jacob I loved and, and Esau I hated. Well, how can that possibly be? Here, here are two babies who who had never done anything, right? They, they'd not done anything for themselves or by themselves, and yet we see this idea that, um, that the older shall serve the younger. It was prophesied, and that ultimately that, that God, God loved or, or God preferred um, Jacob and, and that God, God ultimately, um, it says it, he says that I've I've hated uh, that I hate Esau. So this choice was made before they were born. It wasn't based on their performance. It was based on the the purpose of God and God's choosing. Um, and and so ultimately he says that it, he points out that it's not of 
Um, it's not of their works, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So it's not that it's not that God looked down the 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 through the annals of time and saw that Esau would do bad things and saw that that Jacob would do good things. And so therefore he he chose Esau because of what he saw in the future. It's not a it's not about their works at all. That God ultimately chose Jacob and and he rejected Esau and 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 we like we kind of wrestle with that because because what does that mean about God's um, sovereign choice? What does that mean about about God's um, God's choosing of us? And and even we we bristle in that in in thinking about God's choice of people in salvation, the concept of election around around salvation. Um, and again, going back to Spurgeon in this idea of, of, of the tension between um, Jacob and Esau, Spurgeon, uh, a woman once said to Spurgeon, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. That, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob we we have a tendency and and maybe our greatest error in trying to understand this concept in in considering the choices of God is to think that God chooses um and and that God elects for for arbitrary reasons we kind of have this this picture that maybe you know God is is playing paper rock scissors in the heavens or eeny meeny miny mo in a way of of arbitrarily choosing uh, one person for salvation and blessing and, and another for for damnation and for curse ultimately we we cannot really fathom God's reasons for choosing and ultimately God's reasons for choosing in anything are are alone his he alone knows and God answers to no one but himself what we do know is that God's choices are not they're not capricious that God has a plan and he has a reason and that ultimately God's plan and God's reason are are connected to his character and so God is good God is just um, God is holy and we know all of those things are true, but we also so so we know that when God chooses, that God chooses according to His perfect justice, according to His perfect love. God chooses according to His 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 perfect will, and God chooses according to His own perfect character. And so and so ultimately, you and I who are fail, fallible and 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 frail and and those who uh, those who ultimately cannot cannot entertain the thoughts of God and and are not blessed by having the perspective of God or or the mind of God. Many times we want to place ourselves in in the place of judging God's judgments, and I think what Paul's quick to remind us here is is that that you and I you and I don't don't see and and don't understand enough to be. Um, judging of God's judgments but but what but what what can we do well ultimately we can we can fulfill the example of Paul in in these first 13 verses of 
the ninth chapter of Romans, that you and I are able to have broken hearts over those who are apart from God, um, lost in their sin, um, estranged from God, and ultimately destined for eternity apart from Him. That, that, that you and I can act on that grief in a way that we give our lives to, to pursue those who are outside of um, Christ, those who, who, who don't know and follow Jesus, and to point them to the gospel and point them to the truth of the gospel. Ultimately, we, we, will, we have no way of knowing who will ultimately um, follow Christ by his defined directive. We ultimately have no idea of who will reject Christ into eternity. But what you and I have is a call from God undeniably to give our lives to witnessing to people to the grace and the mercy that we found in, in Christ Jesus and to point to the truth that that is the only hope that men and women have. And so for us, our greatest challenge maybe today in, in, this, in this world that we find ourselves in today is not to cancel people, not to write people off, not to tribe up and put people into places where we disregard them and disown them for any reason, but ultimately that, that we pray that God will, will break our hearts for them and that, and that ultimately God will use us to present the gospel to them and that ultimately God will save them and rescue them um, according to uh, the work that Christ has done on their behalf. And so there are no easy answers about understanding. What does it mean for God to choose? What does it mean for, um, for, for God to, to have... Um, to live out a, a sovereign directive um, among us for for those that are that are that are set aside um, for His kingdom. What ultimately that is that is a thought that's beyond us. But what is not beyond us is to love every person and to point them toward um, the grace and hope and mercy that's found in Christ. Today we're praying. This week we're praying for Hong Kong. Um, we want to pray for our partner in Hong Kong, Mother's Choice. Um, we just want to pray that they continue and we continue to have uh, favor with the Hong Kong Social Welfare Department. We pray for encouragement and sta stamina for the staff at Mother's Choice, especially as, um, as they begin a, a season of, of being significantly understaffed. Um, we want to pray for more gospel-minded social workers to desire to join the work. We want to pray for their director as she's out on adoption leave with her son. And, and we want to pray that the work will be sustained at Mother's Choice and that she and her son will bond well. We want to pray for more local families within Hong Kong to open up to, to adopt children with significant medical and, and special needs. Um, we want to pray that, that God would provide loving and stable caregivers for children while they're waiting to be adopted. We want to pray for the social welfare department that they would be able to improve and streamline their process so that children wouldn't wait needlessly for adoptive families. And we want to pray for more children's files to become ready so that, so that children are able to be adopted into families where they'll be taught to know and follow Jesus and ultimately um, 
where where they'll be cared for in Jesus' name. We want to pray for the families that are currently in our Hong Kong program that are experiencing increased wait times, and we want to pray that that they would um, today have a fresh sense of God's sovereignty and God's call on their lives. Um, and we pray that for the children that are that are waiting. We want to praise God for the many mission-minded families that are in this program and who are waiting with hope, even though they're 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 waiting a long time. In many cases, we want to praise the Lord for processes that are moving forward and families that are preparing um, despite travel difficulty during the pandemic. Um, and we want to pray finally. Um, for our, our team at Mother's Choice, that God will guard their hearts and, and will enable them to serve children well um, as, they, as they seek to serve in Hong Kong. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the work that is going on among vulnerable children from your body in Hong Kong. God, we pray for Mother's Choice and thank you for them and, and the way that they, they minister so well to the children that are in their care. God, we pray that you would raise up more hands to join the work and that you would add to their team. Father, we pray for, for the authorities in Hong Kong. God, we ask that, that you would enable them to do their work well and that you would give them focus and, and God, give them productive increase in the things that they put their hands to. God, we pray for adoptive families in Hong Kong to be raised up to, to adopt these children within their culture, families that love Jesus and, and families ultimately that, that pr can provide a loving and stable home for children. God, for those that are not well-placed within Hong Kong, Lord, we ask that you would raise up believing families here um, to, to bring them uh, into, their, into their families to love and to nurture them and to point them toward Jesus. And God, we thank you. And, and Lord, we know that, that the things that we call out to do today in prayer, God, those are things that are beyond our ability to accomplish. And so, Lord, we trust you. God, we, we pray that you would, you would act, God, that you would guide, that you would direct, and that, God, ultimately you would accomplish uh, for your great glory and for your name's sake, um, caring for children and building families, um, Lord, um, to walk out your plan uh, and ultimately to point children toward redemption that can only be found in Christ. And so, Lord, we confess today that we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word and to pray for Hong Kong. And God, we pray that today that you will, you will embrace us and help us to remember that you have chosen us and that, God, you will help us to live out of that choosing as, as people whose hearts burn um, to share the gospel with our neighbors and with those that are close to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.